Hello to everyone online joins us podcast. I have to say this because we've got a bunch of guys in, in uh, overseas right now. And um, I guess we'll see if they're listening. Uh, what should we tell them to post? Jim Elliott. Post up the name Jim Elliott on my wall if you're a leader. He's not here right now. Jim Elliott was an American missionary who had a call from God at the age of 20 to reach a people group called the Orcas in the Ecuador jungle. This is a photo of Jim. Jim and four other men prepared. They learned the basic language and the culture. And finally, after months of preparation, they flew onto a beach right near the Orca tribe. There was so much uh, enthusiasm and there was so much excitement to reach this unreached people group. And uh, on the first day, they didn't see anyone. And on the second day, they, they saw a lady from the Orca tribe who came out and they were super excited to see her. And they shared a meal and then she left. And then they waited four more days. And on the sixth day, they suddenly saw two other ladies from the Orca tribe come. And these missionaries were so excited. They started to run towards these ladies. But as they were running towards these ladies, what they realized was behind these ladies was a whole bunch of the men of the Orca tribe. And instead of greeting them with happiness and hellos, these missionaries would be greeted by the spears of these orca warriors, and all five of them would be killed on that beach. See, unlike fairy tales, not every story in life has a happy, happily ever after. See, reality would teach us that not everything in life works out the way it's meant to work out. Even in God's story, even in the Bible, we see that not every chapter is a fairy tale. We've been studying the book of Judges, where we see God's people, the Israelites, continuing to go through this cycle. This cycle of turning away from God, getting themselves into trouble, and then crying out to God, and then being saved by God through a judge. We're in Judges 10 and 11 tonight, and we're going to see this cycle happen again. Uh, So we're going to go through Judges 10 and 11, and I'm going to show you how this cycle works. Let's quickly have a look at that cycle. So this is what's going to happen again, okay? So firstly, they're they're serving the Lord, but then they fall into sin and idolatry. Judges chapter 10, verse 6. I'm going to fly through this part, okay? Again, the Israelites did evil. In the eyes of the Lord, they served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram and the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. Once again, we see God's people, the tribe of Israel, walking away from God. But this time, it's not even one other God. They're prostituting themselves to numerous gods. 
And so the next part of that cycle is not only do they walk away from God, then they become, Israel becomes enslaved. And we see this in Judges uh, following that verse. And because Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that ye shattered and crushed them. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. So we see this cycle just happen again. They turn away, they turn away from God, and God says, you know what? Fine, go. And he sells them, and he sells them into the hands of their neighboring enemies. And we see that these, these enemies are brutal. 18 years. So what happens next in that cycle is that, that Israel, because they're under all this oppression, they cry out to the Lord. Judges 10.10, 10, that the Israelites cried out to the Lord, we have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. Serving the Baals. And you would think that Israel would have learned their lesson by now. This is not the first time, this is not the second, this is not the third. This is about the ninth time that this cycle has repeated itself in Judges. But obviously they have not, and this time God responds to them in a new way. He doesn't straight away go, I will deliver you. Check this, verse 14. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. What's God saying? It's like God saying, hey, that's your choice. Now you go live with it. Hey, you made your bed like that. Now you go sleep in it. But the Israelites respond in verse 15. We have sinned. And, and it's, it's amazing because you start to see the, the repentance of Israel starting to change from just save me to working out oh man, we've really messed this up. We have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And he, God, could bear Israel's misery no longer. We see that Israel's repentance is now not just, Lord, save me because I'm in trouble. But they had truly recognized that they have done wrong and they need to change their ways in the way that they respond to God. And we see that they are repentant not just in word but in deed as well. They start to live out the life they were meant to live. And so God, in his great mercy, sees this repentance. And so he, he bears Israel's misery no longer. So what does God do? He raises a judge. And this time, the judge's name is Jephthah. Jephthah. I checked it on YouTube. The pronunciation of this word, Jephthah. Okay? Jephthah. Now, what do we know about Jephthah? Judges 11.1. 1. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. That's interesting. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. 
You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another, another, another mother, another woman. <laughs> so Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Man, every time we read this story about judges, right, and God raises a judge, you've got to think, where does God find some of these people? Right, what we know about Jephthah is, number one, he's an illegitimate child, okay? He, his dad, I don't know how to explain this, but his dad had some times with a prostitute, and then Jephthah was born. And then as they grew up, the, the dad's wife's kids... Anyway, this is getting complicated. And then he gets kicked out of his own home by his half-brothers because they were worried that he was going to get some of the inheritance. So what does he do? He grows up in a gang. Legit, it says, a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. You know, if you were to give him a title, if we were to describe who Jaffaf was, he is a nobody. He's a nobody. He's, he is the son of a prostitute, okay? He's an illegitimate child. He, he's been thrown away by his family. He's a nobody. He grew up in the, in, in, in the rocks, right? He, he, he grew up with a, a bunch of gangsters, and yet God uses Jephthah as a judge to deliver his people, Okay? And so the final stage of, of this whole cycle is that God raises up a judge and Israel is delivered. And this is where we're going to go into the story. Jephthah agrees to lead the army of Israel over the enemy. And the big enemy are the Ammonites. Okay? But Jephthah, unlike some of the previous judges, he doesn't just go into the Ammonites and go, we're going to war. What Jephthah does is he actually tries to negotiate with the enemy first. He tries to negotiate with the king of Ammon some kind of peace treaty, some kind of compromise, some kind of deal. He tries to negotiate this, but it doesn't work because the king of Ammon will ignore Jephthah and then lead, lead their army against the Israelites. Okay, so the negotiation, they tried it. It didn't work out. And this is where we go. Chapter 11, verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mitzpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. Okay, so the battle's happening. Remember, there's always a big battle. Okay, this is the battle's about to happen. Verse 30, it's an important verse. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. See, what we need to understand, right, and this should confuse us, right? Because it, it, verse 29 said, then the spirit of the Lord came to Jephthah. means it's like, hey, you're ready to go. Take the army and go. And yet Jephthah negotiates with God. Jephthah is a negotiator. He's a dealer. 
And so even as he's leading the army against the enemy, he negotiates with God. And he says, hey, if you give me this, if you give me this victory, then when I go home, Whatever runs through my front door when I get home, I'm going to sacrifice that in honor of you, God. If you give me this, I'm going to give this back to you. He negotiates and he deals this. Verse 32, then Japhath went over to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gave them into his hands. The Lord gave them. He devastated 20 towns from Arua to the vicinity of Minith. As far as Abel Karamim, thus Israel subdued Amon. Israel is delivered. Victory is there. Once again, we see the saving arm of God using a judge and through the Israelite army to defeat their enemies. And you know what? If the story ended here, we would be able to say, and they all lived happily ever after Glory to God, how good is he? But the story will continue, and you need to be ready. Verse 34, when Jephthah returned to his home in Mitzpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of timbrels? She was an only child, except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. The happily ever after just got absolutely demolished. I remember when I first read this, I just felt sick in my stomach. Japheth made a vow to God. He said, if you let us win today, if you give me the victory today, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of the the door. And I think Japheth would have thought, oh, it's got to be like a goat. Or sheep, you know, they're all farmers. And yet the one that he didn't expect, his one and only daughter walks out the door. See, the frustrating thing about this whole story is Japheth never needed to make that vow. He never needed to negotiate with God. He didn't need to deal with God because the Spirit of the Lord was with him and he just needed to trust God and go. And yet in that moment, it's like Japheth was like, I need to make sure we're going to get the victory. So God, here's the deal. He trusted his own negotiation skills with God rather than trusting God himself for the victory. And he will pay the ultimate price. Verse 36. My father, she replied, the daughter, You have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. Verse 38, you may go, he said. 
and he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed. Brutal. Brutal. The victory was won. Israel was finally delivered. They were at peace now. But it doesn't mean there weren't any casualties. This is a brutal story. You know, you read a story like this and you go, wow, God's amazing. And then, and then you read the rest of the story and you think, I'm confused. Why does this leave me with such a, a mixed emotion? And, and that's, that's where I was this whole week. Studying this story, reading what other people thought about the story. And, and the conclusion that I came down to was this, as we learn from God's word today. Is that even in God's story, as much as the ending of it all will be a happily ever after, even with the victories, there are casualties, pain, suffering, and losses. I think sometimes we confuse sometimes our own expectations of the way God operates. And we think to ourselves, if God is here, why is there pain? If God is in control, why do these bad things happen? But the reality is, as we see from this passage, is that as horrible, horrible, it's really a horrible Horrible tale. Just because it's horrible, just because it's painful, doesn't mean that God isn't present. And it's not to say that God is not fair and just. It's not, we can't jump to the conclusion that God is not in control. It's just not everyone gets out safe and sound. See, following God and serving God, loving God, is the greatest decision and the greatest privilege that we can make in our lives. But the reality of that decision, the reality of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, does never, never guarantees us a life that is comfortable, a life that is safe, a life that, you know, no scars, no pain, no suffering. The reality is not everyone gets out safe and sound. I have seen men and women, some of my closest friends that love the Lord, that have been journeying in this journey. I have seen some of these people go through sickness and illness. Go through marriage trouble and even divorce. I've seen People have to bury their own children, go through financial stress, severe mental illness, friendships breaking down, neglected and jeered by the world, rejected by their own family and friends. And the list of suffering goes on and on and on. Friends, do not be 
Do not take this uh, the wrong way. Being a Christian is the greatest privilege, but following Jesus does not guarantee a life of safety and security. The life of following God is not one of red roses and kittens with whiskers. There are casualties. There is heartache. There is real pain and suffering. Even this week, last Sunday, small church in Texas, just like us, about 50 people in the service, just like us, turned up to church to sing songs of praise, to worship God, to pray, to hear the word of God, to love each other in community, just like us, just like today. And suddenly, a man with a gun turns up, starts shooting. The outcome, 26 dead, 20 injured, out of a congregation of 50. That's pretty much everyone. If you read some of those stories, if you read some of the the victims, about the victims, 26 dead, it goes from the age of 1 to 70. Eight children, eight children, one unborn baby. Brutal. You read more into it, and I don't know if it's ironic or praise God, but the pastor and his wife weren't there that Sunday. They were at a different church, or they were somewhere else. So they survived but their daughter did not. 14-year-old daughter. 14-year-old daughter was one of the victims, right? And you've got to think, right? If I'm that pastor, and all I've wanted to do is serve God, and all I've wanted to do is worship Him, and all I wanted to do was set up a church so that people could come and meet Jesus, and then this guy turns up with a gun, and not only does 26, half of my church suddenly die, my daughter. My 14-year-old daughter is one of the victims. What would you be thinking? In my mind, I'd lose it. Reading these articles, and, and I, couldn't, I couldn't get off my computer reading these articles over and over again because I'm asking myself on behalf of this pastor and his wife, why? Why, God? Why this church? Why these children? Why? We're just trying to love you. We're just trying to serve you. We're just trying to do what you've asked us to do. Why would this happen? Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim, I think I've heard of her as well. I think. That's Elizabeth Elliot and her daughter. I'm sure she was asking the same question about her husband, Jim. Why, God? Why would you let this happen, God? Are you not in control? Why would you do this to me? Why am I going through this? But if you read on in the story of the Elliot family, 
what you will see and what you will read will astound you. Because after the bodies of the five missionaries came back to America and were buried, Elizabeth Elliot, her young daughter, another one of the wives of the missionaries got together and said, okay, let's go ourselves. And what happens is, Two years later, after the death of Jim and the four other missionaries, Elizabeth, her daughter, and the uh, a wife of another one of the missionaries landed on that same beach. By then, the, the tribe had become a little bit more civilized. And what's crazy is people in that tribe, in that crazy, violent tribe, started to come to know Jesus. This is not, like, this is not fairy tale. This is like, I think this happened in the 50s. What's crazy is the other missionaries' wives' kids are still in with that tribe, still evangelizing and loving those people, the same people that killed their father. Was God not moving? No. God was moving every step of the way. Was God not in control? No. God is in control every step of the way. Jephthah was used to save Israel from oppression that they were going through. But because of his lack of trusting God, because of that desire to negotiate a deal with God, he paid a very high price, the life of his one and only daughter. But God was still there. God was still moving. So what do we do? So what does this mean for us today? And here's what I come down to. Every single one of us at one time in our lives or many will go through a trial or tribulation, hurt or suffering of some degree. Even right now, I know. I know because I, I love you guys and I try to be as, you know, intimate with our community. I know without naming names that some of you are going through just hell. Some of you are going through medical issues, health issues. Some of you are going through financial issues. Some of you are going through relationship issues. Some of you are going through marriage issues. So what do we do? And maybe that's not you going through it, but maybe you know someone that's going through this. So what do you tell them? How do you respond to them? When we're bleeding and when we're hurting, what do we do? Well, the first thing that we have to do is we have to trust God. And I know that seems like such a textbook answer. And I know that it seems like, oh, yeah, it's easy to say, just trust God. You know, I've got cancer, I just trust God. You know, my child's sick, just trust God. I'm about to go bankrupt, just trust God. But you know what? At the end of the day, that's the best thing that we can do. Because none of us, 
None of us have control over our lives. None of us have control over tomorrow. None of us have control over whether you wake up tomorrow or not. There's only one person that does, and that's God. He's the only one because he's the one that gave us life, and if he wanted to, he could take it away at this very moment. So then when I say the advice is to trust God, it's not, hey, go and trust God. It's put your life on the line and trust God. Even when you're bleeding, trust God. Even when you're pouring and gushing blood, trust Him. And trust Him not as the last resort. Don't we do that all the time? We get ourselves in trouble and we try this. We talk to these people. We try that. We think about this and we do this we do this. And then nothing works and then we go, okay, okay, God, I trust in you. (laughs) Imagine what life would be like if you trusted him from the beginning. We trust in the God that created the universe. We trust in the God that has given you life. And then what do we do? Well, then we remind ourselves of the big story of God. We remind ourselves and we we remember that God loved us so much that he sent one last judge, the great judge. He sent one last king, the everlasting king, to claim the ultimate victory over this world in the battle of good versus evil, in the battle over our lives. And this judge and this king's name is Jesus. We remember who Jesus was and what he did for us when he died on the cross. That when he died on the cross and he said, it is finished. It wasn't the fact that, can you, can you imagine the pain and suffering that he had to go through? And he has that moment in the, in the night before he gets betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and, he, and he's crying out to God. And, and Mel preached this last week, but he's crying out to God and he's like, if there's any other way, God, if there's any other way that this can happen, now would be a good time. But not my will, but yours. And he put himself in a place to surrender. You can't read the story of Jesus and go, oh, and they all lived happily ever after. No, they all lived happily ever after because the boy was on the cross for six hours, body broken, blood gushing for you and I. When we believe When we trust God and when we believe that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross, it does not mean, it does not mean that when you go home tonight, that this life will be a happily ever after. I promise you, that's not even what Jesus says. 
But the beauty of Jesus is that this life may not be a happily ever after, but our eternal life will. Remember, friends, this life is short. You might be thinking to yourself, this is everything. No, this is far from everything. This is a dot in the whole realm of eternity. And yes, pain and suffering will follow you around in this life. Frustration, sin. It will follow you in this life. And for some of us, we will suffer, struggle, hardship, suffer, struggle, hardship, and die. That's what some of these followers of Jesus choose. They choose that life. Why? Because they know it is a blip. It is a glimpse. It is a breath compared to what eternity will be. We believe that when Jesus is our Lord and Savior, death isn't the worst thing in the world. It's not the greatest fear in our lives, but actually is the gateway to eternal life with God. We remember that Jesus is not fighting for your victory. We're not jumping on Jesus' team going, go Jesus, you need to win. No, Jesus is not fighting for the victory. He has already won the victory. When you choose Jesus, you don't choose Jesus hoping that he's going to win. You choose Jesus because he's already won. So what do we do? We take our pains. We take our hardships. Man, I, I can't shake off this church in Texas. I can't shake it off this week. It's ridiculous. All I can think, and then, you know, Monday, you know, the, the four-wheel drive in Bankstown, you know, kids are in school. The, the four-wheel drive, the lady accidentally, instead of pressing the brake, gets distracted, presses the accelerator straight through a classroom. Two eight-year-old boys died then and there. I got kids, right? Ten, seven, and four. They're right in that age gap. I cannot shake off. I cannot, in my mind, tell anybody that this life, hey, when you meet Jesus, everything's going to be okay because I live in a broken world. And so I do not come here to preach to you that when you meet Jesus, that this, this life of yours, it's going to be fantastic. You know, like manna from the sky is going to fall out and just Big Macs and cheeseburgers. You can, you, you can eat all you want and not get fat. Hallelujah. You know, that's, that's not what I'm preaching because that's exactly what Jesus did not preach. He actually, he actually said, if you follow me, trouble, suffering, and hardship and persecution will come your way. But don't worry because you're on my team. The story of God is not to say, hey, you follow me, this life will be fantastic. No, the story of God is to say, hey, you follow me, this life will get harder than what you think. I will give you enough to get through this life, but you have all of eternity. You have all of eternity with me. That, my friends, is the happily ever after. So whatever you're going through right now, and I don't want to play down what you're going through. I, not at all. It's real. 
It's as real as it gets. But friends, you take that to God. You don't question God when you're going through hardship. No, you take it to God when you're going through hardship. And you ask him, just that one more time, God, give me the strength to get through today. We take our pains, we take our mistakes, we take our hurts, and we just keep moving. Not every story on earth ends well, but luckily for those who trust in Jesus, our eternal story ends with a happily ever after. And that is the story of God. Let's pray.